Isn't that a good reminder? How little time? We often think that we have plenty of time. Plenty of time to do business with God. Plenty of time to be a witness to others. We always assume that we'll have another opportunity. And then it's in those moments when someone that we've been hoping to talk to and delaying and thinking we would have time and then their life is gone. And with regret, we look back and realize that we missed those opportunities. And it's very sobering. I've been there and have had regrets about not speaking uh, when I should have, and maybe you do as well. Would you turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? And while you're turning, let me say thank you for your hospitality and your kindness to Esther and I. Uh, We're so thankful that we could be with you this week, and we're certainly enjoying our time here with you. This morning when I went for a walk, I was out for about 20 minutes, and I came back, and the evidence of your pollen infestation was manifested upon me. And I looked in the mirror, and my right eye was starting to turn red. That's always where it starts for me, right here in my right eye. And I could feel it itching, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh. So, Lord willing, I'll still have plenty of a voice to finish up the meeting. I'm going into uh, what I call fun season in the spring, and usually I struggle for a couple of weeks back home with having enough voice to be able to preach, but uh, I have the confidence that when I get back home, it'll still be in the 40s, and <laughs> so we'll be, we'll be fine for a few more weeks till, till that starts for me back home. First Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to just look at one verse tonight, and just by way of reminder, we've been talking about the idea of how Paul spoke about how he entered in to the city of Thessalonica, and particularly how he entered in to the lives of these who would become believers, who would become the members of that church in Thessalonica. We talked in the Sunday school hour on Sunday about what it means to enter in, to find an opening into people's lives, to to penetrate into their life, if you will, to be able to Uh, speak to them about the things of God and how important it is for us to enter in to people's lives. And then we've been talking about uh, these different aspects of entering in to people's lives. We need to have boldness in order to take that step of faith to enter into their life. Uh, We saw that we need to check our motivation and make sure that we are trying to please God and not men uh, as we are trying to enter into people's lives Last night, we talked about the importance of gentleness and entering into people's lives with gentleness, realizing that we are dealing with people who are broken by sin. And we look at the evidence of that in society all around us. Now, tonight, I want you to look at verse number nine. And with the Lord's help for the next few minutes, I'd like to speak to you about the importance of laboring to enter in to people's lives. The scripture says in verse number nine, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God, laboring and travail, laboring night and day. You get the sense from the apostle Paul that his ministry in Thessalonica 
was hard work. And in fact, what we find is that the work of missions, the work of evangelism, the work of entering into people's lives is labor and travail. Sadly, to many people, evangelism is a weekly program at church that takes about an hour of their time every week, maybe on Tuesday night or Saturday morning. And many Christians, many Baptists believe, well, if I've gone to visitation this week, if I've gone to outreach this week, then I've done my duty. I, I, I've been involved in the, in the work of missions. But what we find is, scripturally speaking, that being involved in entering into people's lives is something that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And perhaps this mentality that we have, that evangelism is a program that fits into an hour or two of our week, perhaps this is why so often evangelism gets neglected and entering into the lives of the unsaved is forgotten. And sadly, I believe this is true. Especially, it seems like the longer that people have been saved, it seems like the fewer contacts they have in the world, people who are unsaved, people who don't know the Lord, and the fewer opportunities that they have to evangelize. And I think it's so sad when I speak with someone who's been saved for a long time and all they can talk about is who they used to witness to. The people that they talk to about the Lord 30 years ago or 25 years ago, but they never have anyone that they're talking to the Lord about right now. And so we need to consider this tonight because if we're going to enter in, we're going to have to be involved in labor, labor and travail. Now, when we think about laboring to enter in tonight, I want to share with you three thoughts from this passage. First of all, I believe that laboring requires an investment of our effort. Second of all, I believe that laboring requires an investment of our time. And third of all, I believe that laboring requires an investment of our emphasis. And so we want to think about these three aspects of laboring tonight. You'll notice, first of all, that he says here, labor and travail. Ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail. Laboring requires an investment of effort. In other words, to enter into people's lives, there's going to be a significant amount of effort that we're going to have to put forward in order to be successful at that. The word labor that is used in verse 9 speaks of intense work that is united with trouble and toil. And if you want a picture of this, many years ago, my wife was actually expecting Margaret. So 19 years ago, I was in Cuba and we were out in one of the farming regions of Cuba on the west side of Havana in the state of Pinar del Rio. And we were staying in this little house and I went out on the porch and there next to the house was an old farmer getting ready to plant a field. And I've never seen anybody plow this way before. Uh, maybe I have. Maybe I've seen someone plow this way before. Well, it was unique. It stood out in my mind. He was an old man, and he was kind of, you know, bent over, and you could tell he was kind of feeble. And he had a plowshare, a single plowshare, and an old donkey or mule. And he was plowing that field one row at a time 
with that animal pulling the plow. And if you've never seen anybody plow that way, you know, keeping the plowshare down in the ground while it's being pulled takes a lot of labor and a lot of work. And of course, every time you hit some sort of a rock or a root or something, it wants to come up and it's, it's pretty painful to, to plow in that manner. And that's the picture that I have in my mind when I think about the word labor. When, when the Apostle Paul spoke about the labor of the ministry, when he talked about how entering into people's lives required some labor. I picture that old farmer as I watched him with that plowshare and it was bucking around as it was pulling through the field and he was struggling to keep it down. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good picture of the work of the ministry. That's what it means to enter into people's lives. The word travail that is used in verse number nine is most often used in our Bible to speak about the pain of childbirth. And the word refers to pain that comes through hardship or distress. In other words, to be involved or to enter into people's lives is going to cost you something in terms of hardship and distress. There's going to be some trouble that is involved if you're going to be entering into people's lives. It's an appropriate comparison because what I've found in the times that God has given me to enter into people's lives, well, I've made mention of this before, but people's lives are messy, really messy. Uh, just recently, I started a Bible study with a young man, and he, uh, he's a nice kid. Uh, he's not saved. He's attended our services a number of times, and he was invited to our services because his girlfriend worked with a young man in our church, and that young man had invited her and got to know her boyfriend because he would come in to see her at work, and so he invited both of them. They started coming to our services, and one, one Sunday morning as, as they were headed out the door, I shook their hands and welcomed them to the service, thanked them for coming, and I said, you know, if you ever have a spiritual question or any way that I could be a help to you, just, just let me know. I'd love to sit down and talk with you sometime, and... He said, thank you, and they left, and I didn't see him for quite a while, actually. And here, just a, a, about five, six weeks ago, I got an email from him, and he said, I'd really like to take you up on your offer. I'd like to come and sit down and talk with you about something. Okay, great, you know, so he came, and uh, he had a dilemma that he had gotten into in college, and he was grappling with how to handle that. And that's why he came to talk to me. He came to talk to me about his dilemma. He said, I need you to give me some advice, and can we talk about this? And so we did. We talked about his situation. And, you know, it's a little messy, and it was maybe a little embarrassing for him to come and talk to me about it. But then at the end of that time, I was able to say to him, how about if we do a Bible study together? How about if we talk about having a relationship with God? And you know, he jumped at that opportunity. I wish you'd pray for him. That young man, his name is Dominic. And Lord willing, on Friday, uh, this, this, this week, at the end of the week, he and I will be finishing up our, our Bible study and be bringing that to the point of asking him about when he was born again. But, uh, you know, when people have these, these dilemmas or these difficulties, and sometimes they're messy situations, it often, like I spoke about last night when we were talking about gentleness, it will allow us to enter into their life. But a lot of times, it's going to require some effort on our part. It's going to require us to get 
uh, down in the mud, if you will. Get, get out there and really get busy helping people in the real situations of their life. So there's labor and there's travail. I found that working with people by entering into their lives is sure to be an intense work that can cause us personal pain and inconvenience. For instance, you and I, when we enter into people's lives, may encounter some questions that we've never had to answer before. In fact, it's one of the things that I think keeps some people from the work of evangelism. I think some people are afraid that they might get asked a question that they don't know the answer to. And sometimes people will say to me, now, pastor, how do I, what do I do if I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to? What they may not realize is I get asked questions all the time that I don't know the answer to. And so what are you going to do? You're going to have to go dig, find the answer, and you're going to have to pray and ask the Lord to help you and find some resources and maybe reach out to some wiser people and ask for their help. But it's going to cost you some effort. It's going to cost you a little bit of time and, and some trouble in your life to answer questions that you've never had to answer before. There are a lot of questions that are floating around right now that we've never really had to deal with, aren't there? There's a lot of strange things happening in the world. There's a lot of things that people will pose to me as questions that 15, 20 years ago, I would have never thought anybody would ask a question like that. So we're going we're to encounter this. We're also going to encounter problems that we may have never experienced. We're going to be working with people who are dealing with situations that we can scarcely understand because we don't have the background or the context for that. And sometimes that causes people to think that you couldn't possibly know the thing to do in their situation. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, well, you, you wouldn't understand, you know, because you, you didn't grow up in a divorced home. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't have the kind of problems that I had in my family. You, you, didn't, you didn't have the struggles with, with these things like I do, and you just wouldn't understand. You wouldn't possibly be able to comprehend what I'm dealing with. The truth is, as we work with people, and by the way, I'm thankful that I don't have that background a lot of times. I'm very grateful, but at the same time, we've got to help people where they're at. And so we're going to encounter these thorny problems that people have. Now, sometimes we get asked for advice or we get asked what the Scripture has to say about something. And, and sometimes I just sit and think, hmm, I think I've got to think about that a little bit more. I'm not sure exactly how to approach that problem. At times when we're working with people, they will express to us doubts. Doubts about the veracity of the Scripture. Doubts about the existence or the goodness of God. Doubts about all sorts of things. And we may have never encountered these doubts. We may have never grappled with these doubts. And maybe it's the first time we've heard somebody... Uh, talk about these doubts and we'll think, okay, now what am I going to do with that? You see what I'm saying? There's going to be some labor that's involved in helping people. We're also going to experience pain and grief that may have never come our way. When you enter into people's lives, as I was talking about last night, many people are dealing with heavy grief and pain. They're dealing with great brokenness from their past or maybe even from their present circumstances, and we're going to enter into their life, and many times if we're going to have compassion on them, if we're going to feel with them 
about the situation that, that they're in, it's going to leave us feeling heavy and weighed down, burdened. It's a heavy thing. It's a heavy thing when, as a pastor, I sit with a couple that's struggling in their marriage, and I give them biblical counsel and try to give them hope from God's Word and share with them some principles. But as they share the things that are going on in their life, often I'll leave that counseling session, and I'm thankful that my wife and I have a good relationship, but I'll leave that counseling session weighed down and heavy and full of grief for what that couple is going through. And this is how it is. When you're doing ministry with people, it requires an investment of effort. I think what I'm trying to say is you can't do ministry at arm's length. You can't keep people out here and do ministry with them. Maybe you're familiar with my my sister-in-law works in an operating room. She's She's an RN and she works in an operating room. And she tells us stories about what happens when people are asleep. And uh, let's just say, I've lost all desire to ever be in an operating room. (laughs) But you know, in that arena, the physicians, the nurses, the, the medical personnel, they are taught and they have to learn to some degree to keep from becoming personally attached to the patient that's on the table because they have a job to do. And so they need to have a little bit of arm's length But when we're working with people's souls, we can't approach it that way. We're going to be involved in their life. And what that means is it's going to cost us something. Now, as we think about the investment of effort, and of course, I want you to understand that this investment is worth it. It's worth it. Tonight, no matter how you earn a living, the believer's primary occupation is to be an ambassador for Christ. And so what we ought to be investing our effort in, and I I believe that you ought to give your effort to your employer for the paycheck that you're receiving. But in the midst of that, I think you're going to have some opportunities to exert some effort in reaching out to the people around you. And we find that whatever your occupation is by which you earn a living, Your workplace is really a mission field to reach out to others with the gospel. The same thing is true of your family, your neighborhood, and your community, but you're going to have to exert some effort in order to be involved in people's lives. You know, the sad thing is a lot of Christians will not even exert the effort to lift a gospel tract and hand it to another person. A gospel tract, how heavy is that? But that's just too much effort. Uh, The average Christian can't remember the last time they entered into a spiritual conversation with someone because they're so busy and they've got so many other things going on. And I'm suggesting that if you find yourself in that case, you need to analyze the way that you're spending your effort and ask yourself if you're really investing in spiritual things or temporal things. Because laboring to enter in requires an investment of effort. You're going to have to do some work. Second of all, we find that laboring to enter into people's lives requires an investment of time. He says there that they were laboring night and day. Now, you'll notice in verse 9, he's asking these believers, those who were impacted by his ministry, he says to them, you remember, don't you? You remember how we labored among you. You remember our labor and travail. 
You remember how we labored night and day. Night and day. Do you know any time of the night or day is an appropriate time to enter into the lives of others? And what I find about ministry and evangelism is that it tends not to be able to be scheduled. It would be nice to be able to say, okay, this is the time where I'm on, where I'm on duty to be involved in evangelism. But most of the time, the opportunities that God gives to us catch us off guard. They're not really in our Google calendar. We didn't get an alert that said, in 15 minutes, you're going to have an appointment to talk with somebody about the Lord. Usually, it just came upon us right in the course of our day, and just like that, there's an opportunity, and we were talking about this the other day. (sighs) I've got to get going. I don't know if I want to start a conversation here. I don't know if I want how far I want to take this. I don't know if I have the time to talk to this person about the Lord. Night and day. For us, evangelism is not an activity that takes up an hour or two per week. Instead, it ought to be our life focus. We ought to always be alert to the opportunities that God is bringing before us. God has a way of interrupting our lives. Have you ever noticed that? Think about the last few people. If you've had the opportunity to share a tract with someone or have a spiritual conversation, and just think about the fact that almost every time it is an interruption to our life. It is is something that doesn't easily fit into our life. But if we make the time, if we use that time properly, and we say, okay, I'm willing to labor, I'm I'm willing to invest some time, then all of a sudden we have an opportunity to minister to someone. But, you know, I've thought about this before. It would have been so easy for me to have said, no, I'm not interested in talking to this person. Let me just turn to the side. Let me just sidestep that question. Let me just, let me just go a different direction with this thing. And if I, if I had done that, sadly, I have done that, then that opportunity would have gone away. And usually it would have been because of something like this, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on right now. I I mean, I've got my kids with me, and and how how are we going to get the groceries home, or, you know, whatever the situation might be. Laboring requires an investment of time. No matter what kind of work you may be doing, you're going to have to spend time to do it. This is why... No offense, brother. Gardening is one of those things that I'm just not sure about. I'm not sure whether it's worth the investment of my time. Now, I always say that, and then I tell my wife, beginning of May, I'm going to run over to the greenhouse, and I'm going to pick up a couple of plants, just a couple. I don't really want much. I just, you know, a couple of tomato plants... I think that'll probably be about it. No, we're not going to do a lot this year. And she'll say, okay. Because she knows that I'm going to get there to the greenhouse and I'm going to find all this stuff and I'm going to come home with the back of the van filled up with these plants and she's going to say, why did you buy all of these plants? I thought you said you were only going to get a couple. I know, but they were a good price. 
three for one, you know, and you could, you could, they came in three packs and then I wanted a variety and yeah, next thing you know, we've got 25 tomato plants. But most of the time I think, why am I spending this time out here hoeing the garden, pulling these weeds, watering, doing all of this stuff so I can get three tomatoes this year? Because that's usually how my harvest goes. And then I, I add up the dollars and cents and all the time that I spent and think, I could have gone to the, to the market and bought a whole bushel of tomatoes for that. You think about how you invest your time. Think about what you put your time into. The Apostle Paul was willing to invest his life, his time. You know, time is an interesting thing because time is like the fabric of your life. Or if you want to put it this way, it's like the currency of your life. The minutes of your life can never be reclaimed. They can only be invested or spent. And you're going to choose what you're going to do with that time, but you can never get it back. And so as you go along, God gives all of us the same amount of time in a a particular day. We just get to choose what we're going to do with it. And, And we have to decide, how am I going to spend my time? Am I going to be willing to labor in the work of evangelism. Now, I I don't want you to get this out of balance. Um, One thing, I was talking with a pastor friend the other day about campus ministry. And their church in the past has had a very fruitful campus ministry. And I was asking him how how that's going. And he said, well, actually, right now, we've not had much fruit from our campus ministry here of late. And I was asking him why that was, and he said, well, truthfully, it's because we don't have someone who's there on campus and is able to spend the time to be there all the time interacting with the students. He said, in the past, we've had people who were on campus who were present in their lives, and they were there all the time. And so we were talking about that, and I said, you know, as I think about it, those people who were like that, they were single, weren't they? And he said, yeah, they were. And this is something that we've observed in campus ministry. Uh, people on college campuses, when you say you want to do a Bible study, they say, yeah, I'd like, love to do a Bible study. When would you like to do it? Uh, how about uh, Friday at 1 a.m.? Because, you know, by the time they get done with classes and they do their homework and they have some dinner and they hang out with friends and they're, they're like, yeah, that, that'd be good, 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, for a single person who runs on a schedule like that, that's fine. But if you're a young couple with children, how are you going to do that? How how are you going to balance those things? And you've got responsibilities that you have to balance with family. You've got responsibilities that you have to balance with other ministries. So you've got to be careful not to get these things out of balance. But I do want you to understand that we have to be willing to sacrifice of our time to impact people's lives, night and day. The idea of night and day is similar to the idea that is used in the pastoral epistles of being instant in season and out of season. It's the idea that there are different seasons of evangelism. There are different times. Sometimes are more fruitful. That is, there's harvest and other times are more like plowing or uh, breaking up the, the hard ground. I, I feel like a lot of the ministry that we do right now in this generation is plowing. 
and breaking up ground and planting seed and, and coming back over that ground and plowing and planting. And, and if we get this expectation, well, I'll be involved in evangelism if there's going to be some harvesting going on. I, I'd, I'd stay up late for that to see somebody get saved. But a lot of times we've got to be willing to invest the time up front to do the plowing, the watering, the planting, all of these other aspects of the ministry. And what I'm saying to you is that laboring really requires an investment of our time. As you think about this, I remember years ago, my dad used to tell me when I worked for him, he was, he was the pastor of our church and I worked on staff. And in the, uh, the beginning years when I was working on staff, he did this thing where he would, he would make us take our day and make a chart and then we would have to write down what we were doing every 15 minutes. What were we investing our time on? How were we spending our time? And you know, that when, when we did that, it was sobering because it showed us how much time we were doing things that were not necessarily productive or things that were not bringing forth any sort of benefit. We're not really invested. In other words, you know, more like thumb twiddling. Today, it would be like scrolling the internet and checking out your Facebook feed and that sort of thing. And so it's helpful for you, maybe not to do exactly like that, but just to look back in your life over the last week and ask yourself sincerely, now how much time have I really given to enter, entering into people's lives? To, to specifically go out with the purpose of having an evangelistic conversation or a spiritual conversation with someone. Sometimes we look at people and we say, you know, how is that person so fruitful? How is that person, how is that church uh, having these contacts? How, how are those folks always having Bible studies? How do these people have people coming to church with them? They're just lucky. You know, what I've noticed in our church is that the people who regularly are doing Bible studies, the people who regularly have someone in church as a guest with them, are people who prioritize their time in such a way to be involved in evangelism. We hear from them frequently that they have unsaved people in their home that they're ministering to with a meal and then talking to them about spiritual things. They frequently are praying for co-workers and asking others to pray for them because I'm going to be on a plane with this co-worker and I'm praying that God will open their heart so that I can have a spiritual conversation with them. They, they are regularly on, on outreach and knocking on doors and going out into the streets and evangelizing and talking to people face to face. So it's not really a surprise that they also have Bible studies and people coming to church and folks coming to Christ, and you say, okay, I can understand this. Why? Because they have invested the time. In other words, for them, evangelism is a priority. Too often, the way that we spend our time demonstrates that evangelism is not actually a priority for us. That'll be something that you'll have to be a judge of in your own life and ask God to show you. But tonight, let us be careful to examine whether we are making a sufficient investment of time to enter into people's lives. You also will find that you really can't put people on a schedule and, and say to them, okay, I have an hour for you to tell me what's going on in your life. I, I, I have an hour and then I got to get out of here. Most people 
are, are barely going to start unpacking their problems in that time frame. We, we like to say when we invite folks to do our Bible study, uh, it's a four-week Bible study, and you're supposed to be able to do each lesson in an hour. But anymore, I preface that by saying, now, sometimes the lessons could take a little longer if you have any questions and so we can't necessarily, you know, sometimes we could go a little longer if you need us to go a little longer. <laughs> and lately, most of our studies are more like six, seven, eight weeks, because frankly, most of the people, I, 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 have, uh, I have three or four guys that I'm working with right now with Bible studies. And so far, out of those guys, most of them have so little biblical knowledge that as we're going through these concepts, it's, it's just like too much for them to digest. And so I'm having to break it down into smaller bites and explain a lot more of what's going on in the background. Because you can't just say to somebody, you remember the story about Cain and Abel? And they look at you, they're like, Abel who? Cain, what, what are you talking about? Moses, who's he? I think I heard of Jesus before. Now, this is indicative of our society, right? 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when I would do Bible studies, many of the people that I was working with would have at least enough biblical background that you would say to them, you know know about Moses and the law and the Ten Commandments, and they would know those things. But now you got to talk about those. you got to spend time. There's going to be an investment of time. That's what I want you to understand. If we're going to be involved in people's lives, if we're going to enter into their lives, this is going to have to be a feature of our life. This is going to have to be something that we're willing to schedule some time to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give some time to God. And then we're going to have to be open for those moments when God interrupts our life and says, here's an opportunity for you. What are you going to do with it? Laboring requires an investment of effort. Laboring requires an investment of time. Finally tonight, laboring requires an investment of emphasis. Notice what he says in verse 9. You remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Notice the emphasis that he puts on the gospel, on the good news. Now, we have to be careful in our laboring, in the investment of our time and our effort. What are we investing in? What are we spending our time on when we are entering into people's lives? Be careful. There are a lot of traps. For instance, I believe that politics is the wrong focus. Politics we, we try to encourage our folks on visitation, on, on outreach, be careful about political discussions. Because when we're out on, on outreach, chances are we're going to be running into people who have differing opinions about politics. Whoever's in the White House is not the answer to people's problems. People have a much larger problem, and that is that they are not right with God. So if we get sidetracked arguing about things that really don't matter that much in the scope of eternal things, then we're going to find that we have the wrong focus. God doesn't want our attention necessarily on correcting social ills. 
So many times churches and ministries can get caught up with social ills. And they, they want to solve these problems. They want to get caught up in these things. And I think there is a place where sometimes those social ills can give us an open door to minister to people, to meet a, a physical need, and then perhaps to minister to them the gospel. The problem is that it can too quickly become about the physical need and all about the physical need, and then everything's about the physical need and the gospel isn't getting preached. Sometimes people think, well... And I've had people tell me this when they call our, our church looking for assistance. Well, I, I thought that churches were supposed to help people. We are supposed to help people. Would you like some help with the things that we can help you with? Well, no. What they want is somebody to send them some cash. They don't want help with their spiritual problems, which... Nine times out of ten, it's their spiritual problems that got them into their financial problems, but they don't appreciate that and they don't understand that. But many, many uh, religious organizations, we'll call them, get caught up with things like solving homelessness or hunger. And while these are noble pursuits and things that maybe somebody could be involved in in their, in their life and, and be a blessing to many people and might open a door of opportunity, we've got to be careful lest these things eclipse the work of evangelism. Do you know tonight, even many things that are church-related can be distracting from sharing the gospel. We can get so caught up having fellowships together and and having fun times together as a church. And I, I mean, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this a while. Man, you have dinner on the grounds, everybody comes. You say, we're having visitation this afternoon after the morning service. We're going out to knock on doors. Not going to be that way, you see. So where is our, where is our heart? It, sometimes, and, and this is something that I try to keep balanced and wrestle with frequently as a pastor. Sometimes we need to go through the calendar and get rid of some stuff that's just church activities, time for us to spend together, and we need to insert some things that say, let's, as a church, go together and, and let's impact people's lives. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. The Apostle Paul said, "...we preached unto you the gospel of God." Tonight, understand the emphasis, that which we should be laboring in is the gospel of God. It's the good news that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. He did that for our sins and according to the scriptures, and people need that good news because it tells them that there is deliverance and forgiveness. There's an opportunity to have a relationship with God. The gospel is what really matters and the gospel is what will make a difference in people's lives. Now, how can we make sure to invest in this emphasis? Well, I think there's a couple things that we can do. One, I think we need to learn how to listen. You say, wait a second, I thought you were talking about talking. We've got to share the gospel with people. We've got to talk. So often before we can talk, we need to listen. We've got to understand where people are coming from. Sometimes we're, we're answering questions that they haven't asked. Now, just for a moment, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a person that is going to be receiving the gospel message. 
How do you do if you open your front door and someone is standing there and the moment you say hello, they start talking and they don't let you have a word in edgewise? Are you listening to anything that they're saying? Are you considering what they're trying to pitch to you or talk to you about? Chances are you're thinking, how do I politely, without looking like a complete jerk, close this door and get this person off my doorstep? You're not even thinking about what they're saying. So we've got to think. We've got to try to get in the shoes of the people that we're talking to. We've got to get our, in the shoes of the person that we're trying to hand a gospel tract to, uh, the person that we want to have a conversation with at work. And this is going to require us learning how to listen. You learn to listen so that you know how to apply the gospel to their understanding. What do they know? What do they not know? What are their misunderstandings? What are their gaps of understanding? Uh, What have they assumed that is not true? When you listen to people, you learn things about their worldview. You learn about their perspective and you learn how you can address their concerns with the message of the gospel. It's significant. When Paul went to Athens, before he went to Mars Hill and preached, he walked around the city and he said he observed their worship. He observed what they were doing. He read the plaques on the false gods. He thought about what was going on. He must have listened to some of their arguments that they were posing. And when he came to Mars Hill to discuss with the philosophers, he had some things to say that they understood from their perspective and from their worldview. And he was able to use that as an opening to share the gospel with them. Now, the gospel does not change The gospel is the same message, but if we want to have an opening into people's lives, and this is a part of laboring, you have to work hard to be a good listener. Have you understood that? The the reason that, for instance, people people will come with relationship problems, and and almost always, let's say a, a, a couple, if a couple is having marriage problems, Almost always, it's because their communication is terrible. And usually, the reason their communication is terrible is because one or both people are not listening. They're not respecting each other enough to listen to the other person. They want to be the person who is always talking and always being listened to, and so they're not getting anywhere. And this same thing can happen in our relationships. If, if you're known at work as the guy who is always chiming in with something to say when anything spiritual comes up, then you might want to step back for a minute and ask yourself, should I be a better listener? Because when you learn to listen, listening with respect to others often earns you a right to be listened to. You see, everybody knows that you have an opinion and you have something that you would like to say, but when we're respectful and we listen to others, it earns us the right sometimes to share. And, and the bonus is that we begin to understand where that person is coming from. So often we're listening in order to answer or listening in order to have a comeback or an argument that we can present to them. Before you get to that point, 
listen to understand where that person is coming from. So often we jump to conclusions. The person says, I'm a Buddhist. We jump to a conclusion. The person says, I'm a Muslim. We jump to a conclusion. Oh my goodness, they're a terrorist. They probably have a a weapon out in their car and they're going to kill us all. All right? Don't jump to conclusions. Listen. Listen. By the way, most of the Muslims that I've met here in the United States are very pleasant, kind, moral people who want to be as far distance from the things that terrorists are doing as you can possibly imagine. Now, I understand the framework of their belief and all of that sort of stuff, so please don't come and argue with me about that. By and large, they're very kind, respectful people who will give you a hearing and would like to talk with you intelligently about the gospel if you're willing to treat them like a human being and treat them with respect and understand that they have some things that they believe. All right, I'm I'm going a little bit off the subject here. But if we will labor by learning to listen, oftentimes we'll we'll know how we can apply the gospel to their understanding. I'm currently reading a book about the mix-up of religion that's taking place in our country right now and the mishmash of things that people believe. It's a secular book. It's written from a totally secular perspective by someone who's not a Christian, but it is absolutely fascinating. Did you know that there are people who identify their religion as something to do with Star Wars? They, They feel that they're part of the Jedi, and their religion is all wrapped up around Star Wars? There's a whole bunch of them, actually, in the United States. I had no idea. Uh, Wiccan, the Wiccan movement is growing so fast, you cannot believe how many people are entering the Wiccan movement right now, which, of course, is an extension of the New Age movement. We just had, in our, one of our local school districts, they were starting a Satan club at the middle school. After the, after the school day was over, and they were going to be inviting people. And, of course, you know, in our, in our area, there still is quite a bit of uh, religious sentiment. And so there was quite a public outcry, and it was eventually withdrawn, and they aren't going to be doing that after all. But I was reading their poster about what they, what they do as Satanists in the Satan Club. And basically what it is is humanism. And, and rationalism, and, and, you know, we believe in the scientific method, and we're going to teach children how to have critical thinking skills and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, as we go out into the community, we're going to be encountering this sort of thing, and we're going to have to learn how to listen to people to figure out where they're coming from. What do people believe anymore? People say to you, I'm a, I'm a Lutheran in our area. That does not help me a whole lot. Because they could be Lutheran and have never been to church in the last 35 or 40 years. And they might believe all kinds of other stuff. And so I'm going to have to learn to listen to them. I'm going to have to labor to understand where they're coming from so that when I preach the gospel to them, it's going to make sense. Not only do I need to learn to listen, but I'm also going to have to study to learn. 
study to learn how to answer their objections and their wrong ideas from the scriptures. And I'm going to need to make sure that I can use the scriptures chapter and verse and say, thus saith the Lord, hey, look what the Bible says so that they can understand because the word of God is powerful. Of course, we know the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going out into a world with some very different ideas. The people that we're encountering are are coming up with stuff that is unusual or different. How are we going to answer them from the scriptures? We're going to have to labor in the word to be able to answer those objections. And this is going to require us to invest, to invest our time and our energy, and then to make sure, how do I, when I'm evangelizing, how do I keep the emphasis on the gospel? How do I keep it from being sidetracked? Have you ever been in a gospel conversation and the other person just wanted to go any other direction besides the gospel? Maybe they wanted to argue. I had, uh, I get these people, you know, they want to argue about um, the Nephilim. They want to argue about uh, evolution versus creation. They want to argue about the Bible issue. They want to argue about Baptists versus Catholics or Lutherans. They want to discuss this thing or that thing. And so it can take a great deal of labor to keep the conversation steadily moving towards the real issue, which is the gospel. The gospel. Now, I say all of those things tonight to say that if we're going to enter into people's lives, it's going to take a significant investment of our time and our energy and the focus of our thinking. It's going to require a significant investment of the resources of a church in terms of their time and their energy and the focus of what they are talking about and what they are doing. But this labor is worth it. Because, you know, when the Apostle Paul invested in this way, there was a good result. The labor and travail that he invested in Thessalonica was not in vain. There was a reward and a harvest that came because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And these people benefited from the labor that was invested in their life. I just want to ask you one last question before we close tonight. What are you investing your life in? What is your life's energy going towards? Can you honestly say that you're investing your life in entering in to the lives of those around you? Are you having regular gospel conversations with people? Are you, are you listening to people to find out where they're coming from? Are you probing them with good questions and then listening to understand their worldview so that you can help them to come to the knowledge of the truth? Are you going out of your way and inconveniencing yourself to involve yourself in the lives of others, to enter into their life? Are you looking for the brokenness that people have in their lives so that you can minister to them and minister to them the hope that is found in Christ Jesus? How are you investing your labor? What are you laboring night and day for? Is it the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God?